today on the Tearsheet Podcast. If you think about a bank having to be open 24 by 7, if the mobile network goes down um, in a particular country or you know, a major, you've got a major outage, it's still the bank's fault. It's like shutting the doors and not opening your bank in the morning. Um, and so I, you know, I, I've seen um, banks actually you know, try and own more and more connectivity all the way up to the edge of these mobile networks um, to appease regulators to say, look, we've, we've done everything we can, but actually run the 5G network ourselves to make sure that customers can reach us. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Tearsheet's Editor-in-Chief, Zach Miller. Building on top of a bank, the way banking as a service enables a tech company to do, has some interesting side effects, like who controls the traffic in the network. Regulators are increasingly interested in sorting out how financial institutions partner with tech firms, and that means understanding how all these constituent parts fit together. Today's guest is Andrew Coward, General Manager of IBM's software networking business. His team works with financial institutions on SD software-defined networking to bring control and policy management back into their infrastructure, regardless of where their application lives. Andrew explains what SDN is and how we got here in history. We discussed how SDN plays into the future of financial services too. I asked Andrew about the rollout of 5G and how that impacts banks and traditional FIs. Andrew Coward is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. Well, hi. Um, I'm Andrew Coward. I'm the general manager for the software networking business unit, um, which is a reasonably new uh, business unit in IBM. I joined and I started the business unit uh, just under two years ago. Great. So I think that's a good segue into talking about your background. Can you talk about um, how you came up through the ranks and and, um, what your skill sets are? Yes, I mean I've been in networking um, for for my entire career, pretty much. Um, So I started actually working in government in the UK. Um, realized uh, there was slightly more money to be made working for vendors and working for US vendors. Um, I actually spent, Surprising, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who would have guessed? Um, I spent about 12 years in Asia, um, bouncing between Hong Kong and uh, Tokyo, um, working for originally Zylogix, Bay Networks, Nortel, um, Unisphere, uh, and, and, um, and then Juniper. So I spent um, almost 10 years at Juniper, um, and uh, moved across the US. I ran the global SE organization for Juniper Networks um, and then um, did uh, segment marketing for a couple of years and then went into startup land. So I did a couple of startups. Um, the last one um, was called Illumina Networks. So we made an open daylight SGN controller mm-hmm. um, and uh, that was it's deployed very widely uh, today in many of the large telcos. And, um, and then I got the call from IBM um, who said, we really think networking is imp- is going to be important to us, and we we want to um, start a new business unit in that. It, it had been, um, I think, about twenty years actually since IBM had had um, exited the hardware networking business. Um, we don't intend to be in the hardware business for networking now. Uh, we think it's all software, and and hence, you know, we we see so many things changing. It was a great opportunity to to start something uh, and really operate as a startup um, within IBM. Great. So you didn't necessarily get the startup bug out of you. You're just doing it within a larger organization. I'm doing it with, yeah, that's right. With, uh, and, you know, in some ways it's easier, right? Because, you, you, I mean, I'm not worrying about making payroll on a, on a monthly basis. Exactly. Which you, you're in your own company. Um, it obviously has its challenges too. But, um, uh, you know, IBM uh, is very vested in, in, in making uh, this business unit very successful. So I'm getting a huge amount of support from the rest of the organization. 
Great. And and for our audience, like software-defined networking and IT networking automation as a whole, these aren't necessarily topics that we've covered here on the podcast before. Um, so can you provide a quick background on what they are and, and what their applications are at the enterprise level? Yeah. So um, if you think about you know the, the problem of moving packets around the world, um, to, to a large extent, we kind of figured out how to do that. And it actually works rather well. However, um, it, it, today it's about what traffic is diff- is allowed to go where, particularly in this realm where we've got so much, um, so many applications that are running in all the different clouds, right? And when you go and you talk to um, enterprises, right, you, and you say, "Well, how many clouds are you in?" It's not one or two; it's it's three, four, five, right? No, nobody seems to think there's a limit to how many different clouds you can use for different applications in different places. And so, um, I, I think. Um, what you'll hear from from many network managers is, is kind of they've lost control of the network. Mm. And so um, a lot of the ways we want to apply um, software-defined networking is to kind of bring control and policy and management back into that infrastructure, regardless of where the application lives, regardless of what networking you know, connectivity is required. And so that um, you can kind of drive the connectivity and the automation and, and, and bring you know, some order back to what's, what's pretty, a pretty chaotic environment right now. Can you give us a little flavor on, on I guess, what's behind that chaos? Why, why, why is it so chaotic? What does it mean to lose control over the network? Right. Well, so um, if you think about how networks have been built historically by large banks, large organizations, um, they built they build these global MPLS networks. They buy their own fiber. They're very much in control of, of, of what every packet goes and, and, and the security policies that sit around that. Um, that world doesn't work anymore because the applications have moved into cl- into the different clouds. Um, just uh, things like because of COVID, working from home, right? You're, you're not you're not on the, the the company's intranet anymore in this in the same way. And so, um, increasingly, network managers feel like they've lost control of the network. In fact, you know, many times I end up in kind of what I call therapy sessions. You know, when you sit down with head of networks and they say, "You wouldn't believe what happened last week. You know, this group moved this application into, into the cloud, into Amazon, and, and now I've got no control over it, but it's still my responsibility." And so, you know, when you hear things like, I don't know where my traffic goes anymore, right, from senior network leaders in the industry, mm. um, you think about how that context of that conversation would play out in front of a regulator. Um, you know, these, these are really complicated and, and, and difficult problems to, to resolve. And in fact, um, you know, some banks particularly have, have decided not to, or to try and avoid putting stuff into the cloud until they can resolve these issues. So it's actually holding back. Um, you know, it's the cost savings, the um, speed and agility that, um, you know, most enterprises who are not highly regulated uh, have actually gone and done. Great. And I, de- I definitely know from the people that we're talking to that that migration to the cloud in the financial services industry is is picking up steam. Um, I, I, I also sense the reticence that, that you described. Um, we hear from a lot of banks and financial firms and fintech firms as well that the digital transformation of their businesses is like crucial to be competitive in the future. Um, I'm curious how these solutions and the software defined networking play into that evolution. Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, you know, know, from a tooling perspective, it's, well, how are you you going to get visibility of of what's actually going across these infrastructures? What kind of um, packets are going where? um, What kind of applications, what kind of performance are we expecting? Right. Um, in in the old days, if you like, when something broke, you know, a red light came on or it just stopped working. Um, <laughs> and that doesn't happen anymore, right? So uh, if you think about... Bring back the red light. 
bring back the red light. And, yeah. and so we'll just think about how, say, load balancers are deployed um, to um, distribute load to the website of a, of a major organization. Um, now, if one of those goes offline, nothing bad appears to happen. So it's kind of, well, well what did happen? And so what actually happened was the, the application performance went down slightly. So, so now it takes an extra couple of seconds for a transaction to go through or something to happen. Those things are very nuanced. And so understanding holistically how the whole network works from a visibility perspective is, is, is very important. So, so as we started putting the strategy of you know, what we're doing at IBM together, we said, okay, let's, let's make visibility um, of the network infrastructure one of the, the key places, regardless of where it's, you know, it's owned by your own, by the bank or the, by the large organization or the, the government, or it's owned um, by one of the cloud providers, you need to get that visibility to understand how how your applications are performing from a network perspective. Um, so that was kind of the first element. And then, um, if you're going to do that, then then how do you control you know where the traffic goes and and what kind of policies can you put in place and automate the connectivity kind of end to end of that sequencing? I'm curious, just as a as a side point, uh, you mentioned the regulators before. Um, do regulators understand sort of the the I guess the, the the switch of what you described in this evolution of of network you know operators not necessarily understanding where their traffic's going and, and with other cloud providers being involved sort of as middlemen. Well, I, I think the regulators and, and certainly from what I've seen the the, the the tells I get told by by the banking community particularly they they're like well yeah that's happened but I, we're not going to hold back you know we, we're still going to hold you and hold your feet to the fire on what you have to deliver. If you think about a bank having to be open twenty four by seven. If the mobile network goes down um, in a particular country, or you know, a major, you've got a major outage. It's still the bank's fault. It's like shutting the doors and not opening your bank in the morning. Right. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I've seen um, banks actually, you know, just try and own more and more connectivity all the way up to the edge of these mobile networks um, to appease regulators to say, look, we've, we've done everything we can, but actually run the five G network ourselves to make sure that customers can reach us. So. Um, I, I think regulators may understand some of the nuances of this, but there's, there's no there's no give in 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 what's required here. Got it. Um, so I, I do want to shift gears and, and talk about those big banks. Um, we call them hybrids, you know, firms that are active online but also have a branch network, um, physical locations, right, brick and mortar. So so how can SD WAN and and network automation help those businesses and network infrastructure run smoothly? Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, first of all, there's, there's a premise that um, these these locations have to be connected all the time and, and always on, and that may be a given, right? And then historically, we would put fiber in the ground, and we'd do what we call diverse paths. So, a bank, banking branch would have you know two connections, one going one way and one going the other. I think what's interesting now is the telcos are are blanketing cities like New York with incredible high performance five G networks, um, and and so. Uh, and it's not just for for banks, of course. You're just thinking about retail, for example. Um, retailers historically uh, said, "I don't, I don't, I need to be resilient in case the network's not there." So my store, I'm going to make sure that I've got enough compute on premise, so that if somebody comes through the door, I can give them a, a burger or a, a chicken wing or whatever it is, and it, and it, and I don't rely on anything else to make that happen. Now. Um, of course, what's happened is that things like COVID turned everything around, um, COVID particularly, because now we don't just walk into um, uh, into a burger store, right? We order it on our app. And if we if we, order, we try and order it on our app and it doesn't work, 
we'll go to a different store. If, mm-hmm. if when you work right now, we'll go to McDonald's. So we'll go, vote you know, so key. yeah, that's right. Um, or we'll vote with the app. <laughs> but, right, right, right. So, so now connectivity is kind of inversed in, you know, completely changed the, the paradigm. So connectivity for retail is as important as it is for, for a bank branch. Hmm. Um, and so that creates some interesting opportunities. So how much compute do you actually need on-premise anymore? And how much can you push back into the cloud? Um, the telcos see there's this huge opportunity for edge compute um, in, in repurposing this incredible real estate they've got all around the country, all around the world, actually, uh, which used to be for these big telephone switches, which is now a prime location to put general x86 compute. So there's a kind of pullback of, of compute that's going to go, go, in, go into these edge locations. And it's going to be about, you know, if I can remove equipment from on-premise and put it put it back somewhere, then then it's a much better proposition. So and I guess, yeah, and I guess it has an impact on, on data security and privacy as well, right? That's right. And, and so are, are you going to, so you know, if you're a bank, do you, you end up owning a certain vertical number of servers, you know, a couple of racks or something in one of those centers, or do you, do you not have, do you not need the edge connectivity to just connect back? But going back to the cloud point, the applications are now so distributed and, and, and kind of all over the place that it's about making sure that, um, that, that location can get access to those different applications. And I'll give you an example of how things are changing. Um, so take the, video call i know it's a podcast but i can like you and i can see each other and and it's just normal for us to have uh, video calls you know every day with everybody right we're in the metaverse man right yeah (laughs) and and that wasn't that wasn't true before covid um so now what's happened is that people have gone back and they're working in a banking branch and they're using video calls now the way banks connect their networks today all that traffic is being sucked back to some central data center going pushed through firewalls and then going out to zoom or webex or whatever mm-hmm. um, and so you can imagine that the volume of traffic now is very significant um, which just didn't exist before covid um, and so the question becomes well why would you push all that traffic back through some central data center and the answer is because you want to make sure that there's no data being exfiltrated from that bank branch and you want to put all that the security policies in place and so um but it still it doesn't make any sense right to, to, to you know, push it a thousand miles across the country uh, and in fact of course the users are complaining they're saying i have a much better webex experience or zoom experience when i'm in my home than when i'm in my banking branch right so it's it kind of the worst of, it, of the worlds right so um what we're looking at then is technology and sd1 is one example of that where you can say, I'm going to split the traffic um, in a secure way. I'm going to still securely move it from um, the banking branch to a location, but now I don't have to bring it all back to my central data center. I'm going to bring it to um, places where I can do inspection. I can make sure there's no exfiltration, but I'm going to ensure a much better experience for my customers and for, for my users. And I'm not going to um, you know, take all the bandwidth out to just to do video traffic. And so my banking applications don't work anymore. So there's a lot more nuance in the types of traffic and where the traffic needs to go. And again, it comes down to policy management. And so, so SD-WAN products um, essentially, or you can think of it as just being intelligent about where, where mm. packets go. And, and so, so pick that kind of application of, of WebEx is one good example, but then take the path diversity piece and say, okay, well, historically we had two circuits coming into a bank branch. Well, now I might only have one. I might have a couple, but I also have a 5G backup. 
Um, and so I don't really care how the traffic leaves my branch as long as I can encrypt it, I can secure it. And I know, and my hand on my heart, and so I know where every packet goes to and from, you know, this, this location now. Uh, so, um, so that comes down to policy management and the distribution of policy around a network um, so that you, you can control that. And then the visibility to prove that actually what you applied for policy is actually doing what you think it, it's supposed to be doing. How how big of a story is 5G, I guess, in the SD-WAN sort of rollout? What what role does 5G play there? Um, so I think telcos have bet the farm basically on 5G being an enterprise play. And that hasn't really happened yet. So all that 5G has really done is make our phones a little bit faster. And, you know, if you go around the big investment the box, for that. So yeah. has anybody noticed the difference? How, how fast is your phone now than it, it was, you know, before 5G came along? And, and nobody can really tell. Um, now, of course, there was huge spectral um, savings and, and efficiencies and so on by moving to 5G. But, you know, it's still costing tens of billions of dollars um, here in the US and, and, and elsewhere to, for, for each telco to go through this migration. So enterprise was was the thing that said, this is how we're going to get the next you know, billions of devices on the network. Um, and that's the value. And so um, for companies like um, Verizon AT&T, you know, the reason that they're blanketing cities like New York or where I am today, Vegas, you know, with, with 5G is that, um, that they want to be able to get into all those retail locations, all those branches and, and make that just ubiquitous from a business connectivity perspective so that's that's one angle but also think about how many different types of devices are showing up in whether it's a bank branch or whether it's a my um, burger store or um you know any any other location and and so we think about the connectedness of things that had traditionally been on wi-fi right so you buy a printer or a there is a coffee machine or um, an ice cream maker right and how um you know historically it was connected to to wi-fi and, and Wi-Fi is just really hard to manage, and it requires programming and development. You have to set it up, right? I um, mean, I have a, have a washing machine in my home that's connected to my Wi-Fi network. It's incredibly hard. It's in a place where I don't have good Wi-Fi reception. Um, it doesn't tell me anything particularly useful. But for the manufacturer, this information is you know, absolutely critical. Um, and so um, if you can put 5G into those devices, you know wherever it ships, the, the consumer or the, the business isn't going to have to set it up. It's just going to work out of the box. So, so now you've got this overlapping interest between the device manufacturer who's, who's just sold a printer that's gone into a bank branch that now has 5G connectivity and the network administrator for that bank saying, well, hold on a second, this has got its own connectivity. What does that mean for my security and what that looks like? Mm. So there's, there's this kind of... Um, I guess there's going to be this fight going on that hasn't happened yet around the control and management of these devices and what that looks like. Um, and I, there was a brilliant example um, of, um, it was, uh, I think it was John Deere, uh, or it's certainly a US tractor manufacturer, and they had sold, um, well, they were selling tractors into Ukraine. And um, some Chechen fighters had decided that um, they quite liked these tractors and they'd ship them back to their farms in Chechnya. So um, tractors get loaded on a train and they end up in Chechnya. Now, these tractors were then subsequently shut down um, using satellite wow. network connectivity wow. so that they were rendered useless. And so we've got this interesting thing where, mm. you know, so much of the value in a machine is in the software now. 
Right? What kind of widgets is it going to make? Is it a CNC machine? What, where is it allowed to be? And having that constant control is going to be in the hands of the manufacturer of that equipment and not in the hands of the consumer or the business necessarily. Mm. Um, and so you can think about the population of devices that, that are going to be in my, my bike store. Right? The fryer is now connected so that it knows and tells me when, I, when the oil needs changing. The ice cream machine is going to complain when it's not, you know, hasn't been cleaned out properly. Um, you know, so all of these things are, are network connected and they may not even live on the network that belongs to that enterprise. Um, and, and that's a scary proposition if the two, if the two networks then overlap. Um, and and what, how that looks like and how that gets managed is a problem that hasn't been resolved yet. I can, I can, the, the size of that problem uh, is not lost on me. Um, in the remaining time that we have, I'm, I'm curious about how IBM is positioning itself, your group, vis-a-vis, you know, the financial services industry as, as being a partner to, to help with this rollout. So, um, so the strategy I'm, I'm running is, is kind of twofold. One, I've, I've been on, I was going to say an acquisition binge. That that sounds kind of um, sounds, wanton, yeah, doesn't really? it? <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, so last year, we, we acquired two companies. We acquired um, a company called Turbonomic. Um, mm-hmm. And Turbonomic was actually, I guess, two companies in one. One was a product that um, basically looked at um, the performance and management of compute. And the other product was a product called Sub One, uh, which looks at network performance and, and the management and service assurance, if you like. Um, so that product went into my portfolio. So that's giving us this huge visibility of all the stuff that's in the network. Um, that's deployed in about um, 30% of the top 100 banks globally. Um, obviously, with IBM behind that now, we're, we're working on the other you know, 70 out of the top 100 you know, with, with that product. Um, we also acquired a company called Volta Networks. Um, that's given us a, a routing distribution, distributed routing management plane. Um, we uh, have orchestration and management products that we've applied today into telco because the the 5g problem if you like of, of orchestrating a you know a global network infrastructure is a hard one um, we're applying that now into what i call the multi-cloud networking problem which is how do i control and manage connectivity in and between the clouds um, and allow my network team to um, really set the rules if you like about what a development team is allowed to go do so yes you can go deploy in amazon and azure and but you have to take these network rules with you when you do that and, and bring that kind of control management system together. So, so these are products that um, we, we have in market and we're, and we're, we're delivering today. We've got a lot more um, things that we're, we're building organically that's going to, they're going to be in the market next year that, that are particularly tuned around this multi-cloud networking area. It is a hot market. Um, there are probably six or seven startups in this space already that are, that are very well funded. Um, we think as IBM, um, because of the, the cloud presence that we have, because of the trust that's, that's given to us by the, you know, the financial community, particularly, um, that we're very well placed um, to, to kind of connect the compute together with the networking and, and bring those two things together in a, in a very meaningful, um, controlled um, environment. Um, Andrew, so, thanks for, yeah, sorry. Yeah, so that's 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 the plan, right? So, um, you know, and you know, we started out. I think um, you know, we, it was just me eighteen months ago. We're, we're at about four hundred and fifty people in the team right now. So, wow. we're we're a very fast growing organization within within IBM. Andrew, thanks for joining us and spending some time with us on the Tearsheet Podcast today. Yeah, thanks, Zach. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>